0: welcome to the Assembling Inclusion podcast. On this show, we feature different programs, individuals, and initiatives focused on being more inclusive of individual needs. We invite you to learn right alongside us. If you want some additional resources or access to our courses, please visit our website or follow us on social media. But for right now, let's get right to the episode. Within education, one of the ongoing questions is how can teachers support the needs of all learners within the classroom? How can we ensure that all students are supported and empowered in a way that works for them? Today, we discuss a project that supports that goal, the Learner Variability Project from Digital Promise. Specifically, we are going to focus on two projects within that initiative, the Learner Variability Navigator and the IEP Project. In this episode, we spoke to Jessica Jackson and Barbara Pape from Digital Promise. We discussed how the Learner Variability Navigator can help make information about learning sciences research readily available and how teachers can utilize this resource. We also discussed how the IEP project helps teachers create strengths-based IEPs for students. These free resources for educators can be really impactful in supporting all learners. So let's dive right in to learn more. Welcome back to the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. Today we're joined by Jessica Jackson, who is the Director of Professional Learning for the Learner Variability Project at Digital Promise, and Barbara Pape, who is the Senior Director of the Learner Variability Project at Digital Promise. And we're going to specifically be talking about the Learner Variability Navigator and the IEP Project. So Barbara and Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks Thanks for inviting us.
0: Before we get started, I just want you both to explain the Learner Variability Project and the IEP Project for our listeners. What do those two projects entail? What's the connection between the two? I'll get us going
2: here and then Barbara can help me fill in. But the Learner Variability Project, one of our main tools is the Learner Variability Navigator. And it is designed to make learning sciences research accessible to educators and ed tech developers It really provides a nice illustration of a whole child framework. It includes a map with learner factors that show how they can impact student learning as strengths or challenges and how these factors are connected. So for instance, how vocabulary is connected to working memory and working memory might be impacted by sleep or stereotype threat. And so seeing how all these factors are connected can really give teachers insights into what are some strengths or challenges that their students are having. It also shows strategies and how they can support or mitigate the negative impact of certain factors. Again, this allows teachers to be more strategic in what strategies they're using in order to address the learner variability that they're seeing in their classroom. And then from this, we work often with educators on ways that they're using this tool to support their students. And from that, the IEP project has grown. I'll let Barbara explain more about that.
1: Thanks, Jessica. The other thing I wanted to say is that the origins of the learner variability project and the concept of learner variability emanated from the work of Todd Rose, who many might have heard and read his book, The End of Average, that there is no average student, and, and guess what? There's no average person either. So it's the unique characteristics of students, since we're going to be talking about students, and how characteristics interact with each other and how they change given context. Learning variability includes students who have learning differences or learning disabilities, and People who have learning disabilities also have their own learner variability. Our learner variability navigator, which is free and open source, is set up on a whole child framework. So we have different columns. We have content, we have cognitive, social, emotional, and also student backgrounds, sleep, working memory. What the IEP project did, and I do want to say we co-created the IEP project with Brooklyn Labs Charter School, but it was actually the teacher template that we have that we'll show, we'll put a link in your blog later. It was created for teachers by teachers. We co-designed this with them and they led the way. These are or teachers who are engaged in special education. The key with it is we wanted to work with teachers to help create strength-based whole child IEPs. Not that this is added work to what they do, it's a resource that sits at the side of their desk so that while they're starting to write, we just say, take a deep breath and here's some reflective questions to ask yourself before you start. Starting off with thinking about empathy, right? In the IEP template, at the very end, there's an appendix, and the categories are based on the topics within the IEP process, and we include in there our factors of learning and also specific strategies that fall under those topics. From what the teachers who have used this before have said and also created it, is that concept of learner variability within the learning disability community is so helpful to further understand what those students need.
0: I was so excited when I came across this whole project because coming from the special ed background, I know even just like connecting with gen ed teachers who are like, I have this student don't know the best strategy to support them. Having that kind of resource to be able to say, here are some research backed strategies that could help this particular student find success mm-hmm. in your class. I just think that's an excellent resource for teachers to have access to. Was there a specific reason why Digital Promise chose to create a sector that focused specifically on learner variability?
1: two things. So with learning variability, it really was Todd Rose's book, The End of Average, that was incredibly inspirational to Vic Vucic, who got this going with the Oak Foundation. And we're funded by the Oak Foundation. They have a program on learning differences. But we all wanted to be very clear that initially, this wasn't only focused on learning differences, it was focused on all all of us have learner variability, right? So The IEP project actually came out of a conversation with Tucker and myself. He was the founder and former head of Brooklyn Labs Charter School. We both have an education background in special education, and my kids have learning disabilities. He has learning disabilities, and we were like, why can't we have a better IEP process? Right now, what happens is that the parent or caregiver and student are set up in front of a panel of teachers who are going to find the faults with the student. This does not mean that these people are Darth Vader, right? They're wonderful <laughs> experts in the area, most of them, but that's how the process is set up. We wanted to help create a different process with the aid of teachers who do this every day, where you put the parent and child in the center and the experts flow around and there's feedback loops and then you weave in learner variability. So Jessica, as I tell stories, so I'm going to tell you this one story. Here's one way to understand how you can use learner variability in the disabilities community. So if you have a student who is a wonderful conversationalist, loves to engage peers and his teachers or her teachers or their teachers, however, they have dyslexia. So they're not able to read with the fluency and accuracy that their peers can do, but they would love to talk about the books. We would suggest through the learner variability navigator, use a recording. And then create a book club. That's one of our strategies. So the student is able to read the book in the way they want to read it. And and perhaps other students want to hear the story told as well, but then join everyone else to have the conversation. Now, that does not mean that you don't provide the resources to teach decoding, but that does mean that you want to build on the student's strength, which is conversation, and have them work with their peers.
0: I love that. I remember the IEP process. It's so focused on, well, they can't, they can't, they can't, they can't. And I'm like, but there's so many things that they are good at and so many strengths that they do have. And your example at the book club really resonates with me because I was a language arts resource teacher. So a lot of the times, like I had students who were reading really well, their fluency was either off or their writing wasn't as necessarily strong as it could be but they love to talk about their reading. And so the recording option would have been great because they could engage with their peers and talk about the book and how much they love it while we're working on the support for the writing on the side that they need. So I appreciate that focus on the strengths, not just like here's the area where we need to grow and make progress, but also here's what you're really good at. That's really Mm -hmm. awesome. So I noticed that obviously the Learner Variability Navigator and the IP project are both heavily rooted in research-based practices, which I love. I just got my doctorate recently and I'm just big on the research. Can you speak to how research was used to design both of these resources?
2: Sure. I can get us started on that. When we're creating learner models, we have a team of researchers that do a big scan of all the research out there, but they also work with different advisory boards. So each learner model had its own advisory board of different experts in the field that also can kind of point to key pieces of research that kind of defined certain areas in the field. All of that gets reviewed and helps create the factor map. And then from there, we work in collaboration with practitioners to identify strategies and then conduct research reviews on those strategies as well and create that feedback loop with educators and our practitioner advisory board to say is the research on this strategy, does this feel true for how this strategy lives out in your classroom and in your experience and then helps identify videos and resources that we can share along with those strategies. So that is our process. We look often for empirical research in that process and you can see all our references and each factor has its own references and each strategy has its own references.
0: That's excellent. I love the loop part of it that you're looping in the teachers as well. I think that often there's so many resources when it comes to education that you don't know what is research supported and what's actually working. So I love that this project is applying both like here's what the research says, but also educators are saying this is successful for their students.
2: And one thing I'll just add is one of the things we talk about about learner variability is that context matters. And so when you're implementing these strategies, you have to understand how to make it work in your context. And so a lot of what we look for when we're talking with practitioners are what are the nuances that it takes to make the strategy successful or think about what kind of culturally responsive lens do you need to have to really understand how the strategy is going to be different for different students. And so that is kind of what we're really looking for when we're talking with practitioners
0: the context does make a big difference. So it's great that that's also being considered. I think when you're presenting teachers with something, sometimes it's like, well, that's not gonna work for me, but it's great that in in the context, like this could work in this context, this could work with this group of students, and also that you could try things out too, which is nice. Like there's a bunch of strategies.
2: It is trial and error and you know teachers need multiple at-bats and so do students before a strategy can be successful. I think it is important to look at those strategies and then look back and see, okay, well, if this strategy didn't work, what are the factors that are connected to this strategy? Maybe there's one that I need to address with additional strategies before this strategy can be successful. So I think it helps you troubleshoot that trial and error process that teachers go through when they're trying new strategies.
1: If I can add one more thing in here, too, as Jessica has been talking a lot about connections and part of what our advisory board does and what is really the jaw-dropping point of the Learner Variability Navigator are these connections among factors of learning and how teachers can use that to better understand the why behind the behavior that's manifested. So I'll tell you one more story. (laughs) And that is, if you have a student and it's an early morning class and you're, observing that working memory is not very strong. So you might think you're in tier one right now, and you might think, well, we might have to get a diagnosis for a learning disability, which you probably should do anyway. But you also know because you've built relationships with students, another one of our factors to create a sense of belonging and to build relationships. And through conversation, you found that this student has a wonderful mom. She is a single mom who works the night shift. And this student who's, say, in middle school is responsible for getting younger siblings out in the morning. I sort of knew this intuitively, but not until I saw the research. Sleep, one of our factors in our student background category, relates to working memory, a factor in our cognitive category. Lack of sleep, it can produce a lack of working memory. And any of us who have gotten young kids out to school in the morning, you're lucky you remember your name by the time you get back. But those connections really help you understand who these students are and what you might need to do to improve opportunities and outcomes.
0: That's a great point about understanding the research Mm -hmm. behind the context of the students Mm -hmm. and what they're experiencing.
1: So you
0: talked a little bit about how teachers could apply using both of these tools into their classroom. Could you give some examples of that? I always like to hear about how teachers are actually implementing different things. I'm sure there's a variety of different ways, but could you give me some examples of how both the learner variability navigator and the IEP project are being utilized currently?
2: There's lots of ways teachers can use the navigator. And I'll just share a couple of examples. One is to start by looking at those factor maps and really thinking about a student or group of students that you want to support and look at those factors to say, what are some factors that can be impacting their learning? What are some factors that are strengths for them that you really want to leverage? And then From there, looking at what are the strategies that go with those factors, so understanding those connections and leveraging that from a student point of view. It's also a great lesson reflection tool, and a lot of teachers actually like to start with the strategies and really just go to the strategy bank as a resource of like research-based strategies, but I think it's a great way to also kind of say, as I mentioned before, okay, I did this graphic organizer strategy, but it didn't go very well. What are, again, those factors and kind of use it as a reflection tool. What are some related strategies and factors that I want to consider to differentiate or reteach a certain lesson that way? So those are some of the ways that teachers are using it. We have a way to make a workspace. With that, you can select certain factors and strategies that you want to identify related to either, again, a specific student or instructional approach. We have lots of workspaces and I can share some in the show notes, but some that are like factors and strategies to address assessment anxiety, factors and strategies to address opening math routines that are kind of get the math discussion flowing. And so these help you group factors and strategies for a specific purpose. So you can focus on those for a set period of time and really gauge the impact of how that's meeting your students' needs.
1: If I can add to that too, the IEP project, it took off with an article in Getting Smart, a wonderful education-based magazine, and we did not expect the response that we got, and we were inundated, so we just started doing some PD, and now where we are is in a redesign of the template, just in terms of design. However, Megan Gross, who was one of the teachers who was involved in actually writing the IEP project template, she was a 2017 Teacher of the Year for the state of California. She's a special education teacher, but she's right now training the trainers in her district. And so she has a workspace up there using our strategies that are in the IEP project But what's really cool is that she has a video that goes along with it and she explains why she chose certain strategies. Her workspaces are in dyslexia, ADHD, and also autism. And it really opens up your own vision of how you can present material to students with learning disabilities and how you can use that experience to write into your IEP.
0: I love how you both addressed these idea of the workspaces Mm -hmm. and how teachers can take advantage of those, whether it's by specific disability or classification or by issue like the testing one. I think it's great that teachers have that option to go into that space because it, it can be overwhelming when you have a lot of things that you have to look at. So it's nice that they have those kind of spaces they can take advantage of and find strategies that work for them within those sectors, Mm -hmm. kind of helping them navigate a little bit because I know sometimes, I mean, I get overwhelmed sometimes looking at all the different things. (laughs) So are there a variety of them just kind of built out on the website that teachers have access to? They can Mm -hmm. just go in and find a specific workspace that works for them.
2: We do have a signature workspace page. Technically at this time, it's not part of the navigator, but I'll be sure to include a link where it shares all the examples. But teachers can make their own workspace directly from the Navigator under Tools. It's called the Learner Center Design Tool, and and that's how you can make your own workspace.
1: Oh, perfect! I do I want to underscore that this is all free and open source. Oh
0: yeah, good point. Oh okay, yeah, that's one of the things I love. Anytime something is free and available, I'm like, oh, that's perfect because <laughs> it's great that the resources are not hidden behind a paywall Mm -hmm. and they're just openly available, then there's like no excuse for not accessing it. Like it's free. It's out there. It's Mm -hmm. available. Take advantage of it. (laughs) I noticed that you could also use parts of the learner variability project for ed tech products specifically. And I switched from special ed to ed tech. I'm now a tech coordinator for my district. So I always kind of think about the ed tech product side of it. There's so many tools popping up. And my first one is always, well, how am I going to use them with my students who have an IEP? Because that's just where my mind always goes. So what type of support does the Learner Variability Project give to those companies specifically?
1: That Digital Promise, we have a tech certification, and we have a specific certification around learner variability. So what our ed tech director works on with the companies is they walk them through what are some of the strategies that you can include in your features that will have an impact on reaching what we call the full diversity of learners. One of our first ed tech partners was ReadWorks, and they are a nonprofit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we did a study with them. And in terms of special ed, one of the findings that came out, we suggested read works is obviously a lot of things that you can read, (laughs) And uh, which then if you do have dyslexia or another disability, then you can't read you, you have no access to that work. So we suggested and they incorporated immediately a text to speech feature. When we did a study with them, Teachers said, Lo and behold, the students who did have dyslexia were more motivated. They participated in the discussion, and teachers were just thrilled about what they were able to accomplish with something as simple as text to speech. So that's one a strong example that showed up in our research study, and we're glad to give you a link to that as well.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. I used to use. ReadWorks with my classes, oh, so yeah. I, I I think I had saw that on the website. I was like, oh, it was ReadWorks, and I yeah. know how much the text to speech benefited my students. I was using it all the time for one of my classes was Orton-Gillingham based multisensory reading. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we use ReadWorks a lot because I could find vocab words that had the base words in there that we were learning, yeah. and if it was, you know, a little bit maybe above their reading level, but they were interested right. in it, they had the text to speech option. So I mm-hmm. love that you're kind of giving the ed tech companies that guidance as to what features, because then you don't need to have any access to outside tools. They're all built in. Right.
1: um, I mean, and there's a whole lot of other features that they can add to the ed tech product.
0: So I think you both had mentioned at different points in time, the advisory board that's part of the learner variability project. So I wanted to know a little bit more about that. What is their role specifically within both the, IEP project and the learner variability navigator. I just was curious. Like there was, I think, reading pre-K three, literacy four, six, math. So I was just wondering what each of those advisory boards, what their role was.
2: We have several different advisory boards. So it would be like, which one are you talking about? I'll tell you about two of them. And I let Barbara tell you about one, but each time we set out to create a new learner model, One of the first things we do is look for advisors to help guide the work, right? And they come from all over different academic institutions, organizations, but people who are very knowledgeable about research and certain subject matter experts, whether it's social and emotional research or academic content areas. That's how we look to create those boards. And they really advise as we're reviewing the research and helping us understand what are the factors that should be a part of that model. A lot of times they are the same, but there are some differences in the factors across some of the models, and then really understanding some of the big themes that can impact certain things like adolescence and all the things that are going on in the body and brain at that time and how that impacts all those factors, right? So that's really what our learner model advisory boards do. And then, as I mentioned, Earlier, we also have practitioner advisory boards that really help us understand how this can live out in classrooms and give us feedback on that. And then also with the strategy, inform the strategies that go into the learning models. But we also have a larger advisory board that just kind of governs the work of our project and, and helps us. And so Barbara can tell you a bit about what they do.
1: When we started out, we had pretty much two main audiences, educators and ed tech developers. The overall advisory board pretty much covered both of those areas, and we had researchers in there as well. Now, we have broadened out to include representatives of the teaching community and school district superintendent, someone who heads up a a teacher organization, and a classroom teacher. While we do have advisory boards for each of our learner models who can help do that literature review and and find out the connections among factors, which is really hard, we also have researchers on staff with PhDs who organize and direct that work to make sure that we're as inclusive as possible. Possible. We also, by the way, have done a refresh of all of LVN to be culturally responsive, and we're finishing up one to be inclusive for students with learning disabilities to go hand in hand with the IEP project.
0: I love all the connections. I think that's great that this project has the expertise of the subject matter experts and Mm -hmm. the people who are doing research in different areas in education and the practitioner approach. So often you see like it's just one or the other. Like it's just the people doing the research or it's the teachers. And I like that your project brings together Mm -hmm. everything, because that really is just going to make it more effective for people to use So you have both approaches all together.
1: And the other concept that we've been talking about, even this morning, as a matter of fact, is on co-designing and how do we co-design as much as we can of what we do, including with students. So that's an important aspect.
0: Oh, right. definitely. I love the idea of co-designing in general. Mm-hmm. That was something I wish I had explored more. I did a little bit with my students, Like we designed the learning together, but it was something I always wanted to do more of. So I appreciate that that's mm-hmm. kind of the direction you're going as well. That's, mm-hmm. that's always something that's important and helps to incorporate mm-hmm. everybody's learning needs and strengths all together. So. I wanted to ask, what are some of the plans that you have for just the Learner Variability Project in general, whether it's the IEP project specifically or the Learner Variability Mm -hmm. Navigator? What are some plans for future expansion? So one thing that
2: will be coming to the Learner Variability Navigator soon is a general learner model. Right now, for our pre-K-12 models, they're literacy and math. And so we're going to be adding another one that is general so that Folks from other content areas feel like they can have something that really speaks to them, although I strongly encourage them to use the ones we currently have too. I think it can cut across a lot of the content areas, but that's coming. We recently added the professional learning section to the Navigator, and so a lot of the resources that we've talked about, including the IEP project and more, are on there so that folks can learn more. They can see examples, access our field guides, and as... Barbara mentioned earlier with our focus on students, one of the new guides that is on our professional learning site is the how to teach students about learner variability. This is a great resource and it's a great companion with the IEP student template because when students understand themselves as learners, they can really leverage their strengths more. They can advocate for themselves and their needs. And when they understand that learner variability is something in a everyone. It can make it a more welcoming, inclusive environment, especially for students who do have learning disabilities. And so that resource is there. And we're currently in the process of building out lesson plans that teachers have created. We have some sample lesson plans. We hope to add more so that teachers can teach students about learner variability too.
0: Oh, that's awesome. There's so many great things in that. I'm excited for the general because I feel like a lot of elective teachers are always asking about like, well, how can I support yeah. Students in my content area, whether it's art or music. I mean, yes, they could go to the, the math with the literacy too, but it's great. That they're going to have that general mm-hmm. to go to, or it's still the same strategies.
1: So, right now, we're thinking about turning a general learner model in some way to portrait of a graduate, which we know that all schools are using and it would be portrait of a learner. With the IEP project, as I said, we were caught off guard by our success. And so what our future plans with that is to go back out in January and we already have some professional development lined up, but we're also going to march into the policy arena a little bit and look at are there policy at the state district local level to include strength-based IEPs? and language and professional learning. That's another area that we plan to work in because what we want to do is is have the imprimatur of the state as teachers are saying, this is what we want to do. And so bring everybody together, the entire community that is working with learning disabilities to understand the importance of strength-based. As Jessica said so beautifully, trying to eliminate stereotype threat, which is one of our factors. You know, How do you do that in a positive way and create a sense of belonging for all students, regardless of language, cultural background, ability, and I like to always say, quote Juliana Artube, who was the national teacher of the year, where she talks about students who have second languages, that they are giftedly linguistic, and it's such a beautiful way to look at the world and to look at students, and with learner variability, we always say, if you understand learner variability, you'll see a design challenge, not a student problem.
0: I love that. I think that's the perfect way to <laughs> conclude yeah. our episode because that is so true. I want to thank you both so much. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us today and telling us all about the Learning Variability Navigator, the IEP project, the Learner Variability project as a whole. I'm going to make sure that all of those resources are linked. So everybody needs to make sure to check out those links in our blog post and in our show notes. And just thank you so much, both of you for sharing with us today.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Thanks
0: for listening to this episode of the Assembly Inclusion Podcast. I hope the information in this episode taught you something new, gave you a new idea, or showcased a new perspective. If you liked the episode, feel free to leave us a review or comment. If you have a recommendation for an individual or an organization who would make a great guest you can message us on Twitter or Instagram or send us an email at assemblinginclusion@gmail.com. at gmail.com. See you next time.